Just a quick warning. This episode includes a brief discussion of suicide. If you are experiencing thoughts of suicide, or if you just want to talk, you aren't alone. To reach the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, call 800-273-8255. Okay, here's the show. 23 sessions later, I'm doing so much better. And I I honestly tell people that ECT saved my life. And I'm really, I'm really grateful for it. Welcome to Getting Through. I'm Andrea Sonnenberg. There are so many modalities of treatment. And while certain treatments aren't well known, this doesn't necessarily mean they are less effective. And this was true for my guest today, Kate, who experienced a breakthrough in an unexpected way. So growing up in L.A., um, I'm Jewish, and I was always surrounded by a bunch of Jewish people because I went to a Jewish day school for most of my life. I grew up kind of kind of sheltered in some ways, just going to private school. You don't experience certain things. But um, I had a very loving family, and I, I always felt very accepted and loved by them. Things first became difficult for Kate in middle school. When I was 12, I started struggling with trichotillomania, which is this OCD compulsion to pull out one's hair. And so it's a very... Um, hard thing to deal with when it comes to confidence because sometimes it can affect the way you look. But I think, um, yeah, the depression kind of started to show itself when I was about 12. And high school wasn't any easier. I was definitely the token emo kid at the high school. And I just remember not really fitting in and all of the popular girls would wear their cute little outfits and I just didn't look like them. And I just remember feeling different. And that was kind of harmful and sometimes I would just feel embarrassed about the way that I looked. Another factor that played into it was my sexuality and gender. So I'm non-binary and bisexual and it took me a long time to finally feel comfortable with my gender identity and my sexuality. I think part of that was just because so much of my high school was straight people and people who weren't really used to these different gender identities. And so it was definitely hard. Like when I was 14 or 15, I was thinking about identifying as non-binary, but I call it coming out of the closet and then going back in Mm. because I wasn't sure about it and I didn't think I would be accepted. And so I have now come out as non-binary three different times in my life because sometimes I didn't feel accepted. So I would just say, never mind, I'll just identify as a girl, even if it made me uncomfortable. And so that was definitely part of what made high school hard for me. Were you seeking treatment at that point, at that age? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely started treatment around that, around that time. And then I, I've been on medications since probably around that time as well. I don't know if I mentioned, but I do have ADHD as well. Mm-hmm. And um, my ADHD meds are very helpful for me. It's kind of like I see my medicines as like helping me become like my baseline, like mm-hmm. the Kate that everyone knows is the Kate that's medicated. And I think that's okay. For example, if I don't take the ADHD meds one day, like I feel that my focus is off and... Um, and I feel that it, it definitely does help. Mm. Do you take other medication besides the ADHD medicine? Yeah, so I also take birth control as a form of, it's almost like an antidepressant because when I was like 14, I noticed that I was feeling super depressed often and almost suicidal, and then my psychiatrist said, you should, you guys should look at the calendar and mm. see when this occurs, and it turned out it was happening once a month, and so... My doctor said that I should go on birth control as like a form of an antidepressant because it would prevent the PMS from happening. I think a lot of people go through that 
PMS and people are like, oh, you're being so dramatic, but it really can um, cause some emotional distress. Oh, wow. And that really helped. Yeah, it really has helped. Kate, who uses they, them pronouns, moved to Colorado for college, majoring in gender and women's studies. And this is also when they got more interested in music. I listen to lots of like hardcore metalcore stuff, so kind of screen music, but um, it's definitely, <laughs> it's been very helpful for my mental health issues because the music I listen to, like, it's more popular in like the hardcore and metalcore scene to talk about struggles that people have gone through and... Um, there are certain bands I know that have sung about their addiction or about their mental health issues. And I think that's why I love it so much. And I mean, it's funny, I'm like this five, four kind of like friendly teddy bear of a person, but I still love going to concerts and like being in the mosh pit and shoving around. And it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of funny. People don't really expect that from me. Um, I've really found a community in, in the music scene wherever I live. It was just really cool to like meet all these other people with like tattoos and piercings and and like dyed hair. And it, it's just cool because um, also a lot of the people in the music scene are also queer. And so it's just like a really nice community. And like, I feel like I can really be myself around those people. But Kate was still struggling, missing class and smoking a lot of marijuana. I think it's, it's just really important to actually look within and look at these issues. And like, I remember my parents thought like, you are skipping class because you're smoking so much. But actually, I was skipping class because I was depressed, and I was smoking so much because I was mm -hmm. depressed. And um, I think it's important to recognize the difference. Their depression made it hard to participate in anything, and things really came to a head Kate's sophomore year when they went on medical leave from school. So basically, um, I ended up having a manic episode, which I had never had before, and I just assumed it was bipolar disorder, but... All the experts told me that it was a marijuana-induced manic episode. The mania occurred just as Kate was about to go home. And just to explain how scary it was, I ended up missing about four flights. Because wow. I was just not in my right mind. I was like, I don't want to go home. I'll just stay here. Yeah, it was just strange. It was strange because I'm always very conscious about money and resources. And, and I wasted thousands of dollars by missing those flights. Reality felt far away. And the intense energy of the mania was followed by severe depression. It's like you're really high in that point, and then you reach this really low. So I had this scary episode, and then I was severely depressed for about a year. And I was just weeping every day because I was so depressed, and I thought it would never end. Mm. Um, I never saw myself going back to school, and I obsessed over it the whole year that I was gone. I just kept thinking... All my friends are getting ahead. All my friends are going to graduate. I'm never going to graduate. I'm just falling behind. I mean, I wasn't being myself. I remember, I feel like I strained relationships with my parents and my siblings because I was so depressed. I wasn't able to connect with people like I usually do. Like, I'm a very people person. And I feel like because I was so depressed and I wasn't really thinking about other people, I was just in my own world. While it was hard to connect, Kate also did not want to be alone. There was one morning when I was just crying, standing outside my mom's bathroom saying, are you almost ready? I need you to sit with me. I can't be alone right now because I hated myself so much and didn't want to be alone for five minutes. Over the course of that year, Kate's family did their best to provide support and sent them to several treatment centers. But no treatment was helpful in the way they hoped. Kate felt like the depression would never end. After I got back from treatment in Arizona, 
I tried to kill myself. And that was the lowest point, but it was also when I had this realization, like, holy crap, I don't actually want to die. And that was just so powerful for me because it took a near-death experience to help me realize that I do want to live. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like going through that really helped me realize that I don't want to die. I just realized this is not what I want. This is not where I want to be. And I think that hopelessness really just was overwhelming for me. And it's like all those months of being so low just got me to this point where I realized that this is not what I want for myself. This is not what I deserve. And so it's like reaching that really low point. And Mm -hmm. the lowest points look different for everyone. And so I just think having that realization was the most powerful thing for me. Mm. Yeah, to learn that that you really want, that life is worth living. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so after the attempt was around when I started ECT. ECT stands for electroconvulsive therapy. It's a treatment for severe depression, where a controlled set of electrical pulses are sent through the brain, creating a short, controlled seizure. The idea is that the electricity helps to stimulate neural connections. But when Kate's psychiatrist first suggested it, they weren't so sure. I think I just burst into tears. I was like, that is so scary. I can't even imagine doing that. Some of their trepidation was because of how ECT is usually represented in the media. It's very stigmatized. Um, partly because of films like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, right. where they show it as a form of abuse, right. or when they show it in films as like conversion therapy, where the person isn't put under and they're injured severely. Then fast forward to the consultation with the doctor, I, I decided I really do want to do this. And obviously I was scared about it, but I ended up considering it just because, yeah, everything I had tried wasn't working. And I just remember feeling very hopeless, like, why haven't these treatments worked for me? I feel like because I was at such a low, I was honestly just willing to try anything, no matter what it was, even Mm -hmm. if I was freaked out by it. I just knew that nothing had worked so far, and I thought, well, if there's, like, one more option, then I'm just going to have hope that it's going to work. So in a sense, I did have hope because things were so bad. I was like, you know, I don't really care if this doesn't work, but on the off chance that it does, then, like, I should really try it. As Kate learned more about ECT, they became more hopeful it might work. Before I started, I had a consultation with them just to learn all about it. And I talked to a family friend of mine who um, had had a similar experience to mine and had done ECT and it really worked for him. At first, they did three sessions a week. Then the number of sessions tapered down to twice a week, then once per week, and finally once a month. During the actual treatment, Kate was put under anesthesia and didn't feel anything. But still, there were side effects. Afterwards, um, my whole body was kind of in pain, which I think now is worth it. But at the time, I remember thinking, like, what am I doing to myself? They put you, they put you under anesthesia, mm-hmm. so you don't feel anything. No, it's just the soreness afterwards, really. Mm-hmm. My neck would hurt because basically they're giving you, like, a 10-second seizure. That's what they mm-hmm. do when they, when they basically shock your brain. Um, and so it's painful, and they give you a mouth guard because you might, like, clench your jaw Um, And so, yeah, afterwards, just my neck would hurt and I wouldn't really be able to do anything. And when it was like muscle 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 pain, Uh yeah, exactly. And I would just like sleep for the whole day afterwards. And 
I think another reason I was freaked out by it is because um, it can cause short-term memory loss and difficulty retaining things. During their time in treatment, Kate started a summer school course. It was my first time taking a class since being on medical leave, and I was really insecure and really nervous that I wouldn't be able to do it just because I hadn't been in school for a year, and when I was in school last, it wasn't going well because of my depression. But Kate actually ended up getting an A in the class. I think it's because I knew it was going to be so hard that I just decided to work extremely hard. But part of why it was difficult was because the difficulty retaining things made it so that I would do these readings and sometimes read things over and over again, and I wouldn't remember anything. And that was really freaky for me because I'm young. I shouldn't be losing my memory, but it was all just part of it. So how soon after starting the treatment did you feel better? Honestly, a month or two. It it was pretty immediate for me, which was really awesome because I I just didn't expect to ever get better. And the fact that it started happening pretty quickly, um, you know, I love making puns and making silly jokes. And I didn't make a single joke that whole year that I was depressed. And so we were at dinner one night and I made a pun. It might not have been funny, but my parents (laughs) were like, oh, my God, Kate is coming back. And my mom would tear up sometimes and say, you're coming back. And I was like, oh, mom, stop it. But she was right. When I spoke with Kate six months after their treatment, the side effects had subsided. I'm almost at the point where it's back to normal, but I still do forget things and repeat stories to my friends. And they're just like, oh, you already told me that. And I'm like, oh, sorry, memory loss. But um, (laughs) 23 sessions later, I'm doing so much better. And I I honestly tell people that ECT saved my life. And I'm really, I'm really grateful for it. Kate's positive experience inspired them to get a tattoo of a lightning bolt going through a brain as a reminder of everything they've gone through and their success with ECT. So you mentioned 23 treatments Mm -hmm. for electroshock therapy. Yeah. Are you done? Yes, I am done, finally. And do you ever have to do it again? Like, what? Is, how long is, does it last? I know one person who went through it, and he's never dealt with depression again. It's been several years, so I think wow. it can last a long time. But I was told that if I go through such a severe depression again, then I might have to try ECT again. But, um, but I was also told if I use weed and I have a manic episode and then such a severe depression that follows it might not work as well. Kate spent that year out of school worried about being left behind by friends and peers. Another thing that ECT can help with is obsessive thoughts. So after I got ECT, I found myself not lingering on these ideas anymore of falling behind. And now that I'm back at school, I'm even seeing some friends graduating early and it makes me a little insecure. And like knowing that I'm a rising junior, but all my friends are rising seniors, it makes me insecure sometimes, but I just... I try to remember that it's not a race and it doesn't really matter if I graduate college later. And one of the best things about life for Kate now is being able to enjoy time with their family. I'm so glad that my family has almost given me another chance because I was not my best self for that whole time. And so I'm just so lucky that they were willing to look past that and just see the good in me, even though I couldn't see the good in me. Although ECT has been so helpful, Kate still takes an active role in their health. They now have a more holistic approach to wellness, including exercise, being outside, playing music, and relationships. A few days ago, I I had a job interview that went really well. Um, I worked out. I saw my childhood best friend, and I was feeling so fulfilled. Like, I was so happy. I just kept saying, like, I had such a great day today. 
And I think that's important to remember because that's a feeling that's actually going to last, like having meaningful relationships and being productive. It's hard when you're depressed to want to do anything and the things that you need to do to make yourself feel better, you can't do them because you're depressed. Yeah, it's like a cycle. It's like a cycle. So what do you suggest for people that are in that situation? Yeah, I think just trying to do little things. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes when people are depressed, the most they can do in a day is shower and brush their teeth. And that might sound ridiculous to people who haven't gone through depression because it's just like that's such an easy thing to do for most people. But I think sometimes just the small victories are what matters. And sometimes for me, like not taking a nap during the day is a victory for me because even though I'm doing so much better right now, I am an avoider. And there's that cycle because you're not doing the things that you should be doing. And then you feel depressed because you're not doing them. And then you don't do them because you're depressed. And so, yeah, just little things can be really helpful. Baby steps. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Set like little goals, little goals for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Even people who don't suffer from depression have bad days. And it's just important to remember that um, progress and healing is never linear. Like some people just Mm -hmm. imagine you'll get better and better and then you're fine. But that's really not what it's like. And I know I'm going to continue struggling with this for the rest of my life. And that's, that might be discouraging to some, but I really think it makes me stronger because every bad day I have gets better. You know, it's like every bad day I have is less bad than the last. I think something that was hard for my family was feeling like they couldn't help me. Mm -hmm. And like I had friends who were there for me and while having them there for me was helpful it might not have been visible. And I think that's probably really painful for people who love someone who is depressed, just feeling like they're not able to help. And I think that was really hard for the people who love me because they wanted to help me so badly, but really nothing was working. What do you want from someone when you're in that place? Like what, what, what can a loved one do to be supportive? I think just like spending time with me, even if I was painful to be around and doing things with me. Like I remember, um, just my mom would just spend time with me. And like when I was in treatment, all I wanted was to be home and to see my family. And so when they would visit me, I remember my brother came to visit one time when I was in treatment and that just made me so happy to see him Mm -hmm. because when you're in treatment, it's just like such an unfamiliar place and you're with all these strangers and it, it can just be really hard. And I think just having people there, like, my best friend at the time visited me so often. And when I was in Arizona, she sent me about 20 letters throughout the whole time. And I never wrote back. I was just not in a place where I could respond and I didn't know what to say. I think just being there for the person and knowing you might not get anything back is, is really important because if that friend hadn't continued sending me letters, like I would have been so sad and She knew I wasn't going to respond, but she just kept reaching out and letting me know updates on her life. And that was really helpful. That was really helpful for me because I knew someone was always thinking about me. And that was really nice. That is so important to hear, Mm -hmm. actually, because sometimes we think it's about us. Right. And um, you might stop writing the letters. And so it's really wonderful to hear you say how that really helped you get through. Mm -hmm. And... um, as supporters of people, we want to know what to do, and I think that's that, I think that's really helpful. So, Kate, what gives you hope now? I think just the fact that I'm not in the same place that I was when I was depressed. I think 
like, and like I said before, like, knowing that I can cope with things that happen to me now. I think something that helps me a lot is the fact that people are becoming so much more open on mm-hmm. social media. Um, I really appreciate that. Like, I have so many friends who are becoming more open, and I think part of that is because I'm open. Like, because I'm such an open book, I think that helps other people know that I'm a safe person to talk to, and so they'll be open with me. Like, I posted something on Facebook a while ago about how I made Dean's List even though I was doing ECT, and I was so proud of myself. Mm -hmm. And then um, a friend of mine who I've known for several years messaged me and said, I did ECT last summer, and it really helped me. And I would have never known that she went through that if I hadn't told my story. Right, right. That's why it's so important to talk. And do you feel successful as a person now? Yeah, I I recently said to my mom, I feel like a success story. And she got a little emotional because (laughs) that's like the best thing you can hear as a parent of someone who's been through depression. You are a success story. I mean, you you really are. You're an inspiration for for all of us. So that really that really means a lot. Getting Through is made possible with the support of USC Hillel through the Bradley Sonnenberg Wellness Initiative. It's produced by Hannah Beal, Victorian Moulier, Micah Smith, and me, Andrea Sonnenberg. Original music by Micah Smith. Thank you for listening.